1: Breathe in, breathe out.
2: This is Psychoanalysis. This is Psychoanalysis, a horror therapy podcast analyzing the horror genre through the lens of mental health. I'm Jen Adams.
0: And I'm Mike Snoonian, throwing another shrimp on the Barbie. Oh, another
2: shrimp on the Barbie. Sorry, I could quote that movie. Forever. And I don't even really like comedies that much, but that's one of the very. I've few never that seen I do.
0: Crocodile Dundee.
2: I think is that Crocodile Dundee? That's um, I think so. That's Dumb and Dumber.
1: Oh that Jesus! That is Dumb and that, Dumber. That, it's
2: Austria. <laughs>
1: Okay, that our I have
2: heads are falling off. Crocodile Dundee is great, also. Um, but yeah, if you can't tell, we are talking about a movie from the land down under. We are going to be talking about the loved ones, and I just wanted to give a real quick um, trigger alert because. Um,
0: I'll do it let me try it really quick okay yeah so hey before we talk about this movie we always want to be sensitive to our listeners so just a quick little content warning and you can make your own informed decision Um, this episode will talk extensively about self-harm in detail Mm -hmm. both in the mental health section as well as the movie discussion there will be a little bit of talk about um, suicidal ideation as well Mm -hmm. uh, and also like incest so some sexual triggers as well so if that is something that does disturb you we understand if you need to tap out early and we already got your download so yay <laughs> us um but no we just do want to be sensitive to all of our listeners where that may may um trigger something
2: yeah and it's completely uh, we completely understand if this is not the episode for you mm-hmm. but we will be back next week um, but if
0: you do stick around, this is going to be a fucking awesome episode.
2: I, this, I forgot we were this talking movie about incest, too. Rules. <laughs> oh, dude, I'm so excited to talk about this movie. Yes. Okay. So we are talking about the loved ones. Woohoo. And now we're going to give a brief synopsis in case you haven't seen the loved ones or it's been a while. Am I not spoiler enough? <laughs> wow. Do I spoil great. the movie? <laughs>
1: do Jen, i you have tell a you what voice.
2: oh thank you i went to college for it so i hope so <laughs> well thank you i love that song too so i'm gonna try my best not to sing it for the next uh couple of you could days sing
0: but... the whole movie discussion oh just that. to that the, the, wonderful. yeah mm-hmm.
2: i could try it it'd probably get real old in about right after 30 about 30 seconds.
0: minutes i'd be like <laughs> right. stop
2: i know yes please god um. Yeah, I feel like this movie hits the right balance of using that song and not overusing it. And I will follow suit. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. all right. Brent is driving with his father when a young man with a giant heart scraped into his chest stumbles into the road. They crash into a tree. We cut to a year later. Brent is looking pretty rough and depressed. His friend Jamie asks if he's going to the party after the dance, but he doesn't really want to. Jamie does and asks a goth girl named Mia to the dance and she says yes. Um
0: love it. Love those two crazy kids.
2: Oh yeah, destined to be together. Um I do really hope they make it, you know. Like
0: I don't <laughs> think they will, but
2: Well, yeah, we may talk about that later on in our discussion. <laughs> but yeah, they're I like them. I like Jamie a lot. Um, A strange girl named Lola walks up to Brent and awkwardly asks him to the dance. He kindly says no because he is already going with Holly. After school, Holly and Brent hook up in her car. Brent is wearing a razor blade on a chain around his neck and has been cutting himself. Holly sees it, but they don't really talk about it. But Holly does give him a blowjob, and Lola creepily watches from outside the window.
0: Just turn your head to the left, Brent, <laughs> and you could have had a really, really good time. Exactly. What a yeah. story.
2: Mm, oh, my goodness. I guess, well, that's what happens. would have been a
0: different room. movie.
2: It would have been a very different movie, uh, much shorter, you know. Um, so Brent's girlfriend, Holly, has just gotten her driver's license, but Brent knows that his mom will be upset that he's riding in a car with her. Holly says she loves him, but Brent doesn't really say it back. Brent was right, and his mom does not want him to ride in the car with an inexperienced driver, which Brent interprets this to mean that because he wasn't an experienced driver, it's his fault that his dad died. He walks out and cuts his palm with a razor blade, then free climbs up the side of a high cliff. At the top, he hangs by one hand and almost lets go, but then pulls himself back. He's sitting at the top of the cliff when a man knocks him out and drags him away. Meanwhile, Jamie picks Mia up from the dance and is very friendly and sweet with her parents, but Mia is very quiet and just wants to get the fuck out of there. Holly goes to pick Brent up for the dance, but he's not there. They're trying to find him when Brent's poor doggie crawls back. He's hurt, and they call the police, which turns out to be Mia's dad. So, as it also turns out, the man who kidnapped Brent is Daddy, a.k.a. Lola's father. Uh-oh. Lola's room is ultra girly, but her Barbies are all in very pornographic positions. All of the pictures of the boys are torn or scratched. She is scrapbooking a picture of Brent while playing the song that I sang earlier, Am I Not Pretty Enough? Which is perfect song for this movie. Um, Daddy brings her a special pink dress for the dance, and she makes him stay while she changes right in front of him and his gaze reluctantly lingers which again i think we're going to talk about this later but ooh. oh yeah also for the record i am calling him daddy because that's what the movie calls him i don't think yep, we ever know fine. his name not because i like to
0: who I, is your, daddy and, what what is your daddy and what does he do your daddy
2: and what does he do i love that movie all right brent wakes up tied to a chair at their dinner table lola and daddy are there all dressed up and there's another woman named bright eyes at the table too she is a mess and has an ominous hole in her forehead. She's also very spacey. And Lola does not like her at all. They inject drain cleaner. Uh, just about to talk about some torture. If you want to skip ahead a little bit, I'm, I'm going to try not to go into the details, but some pretty upsetting This movie torture.
0: goes there. It oh, really
2: yeah. does. Yep. So
0: like This is like Saw Cubed, basically. Uh-huh.
2: Yep. Yeah, I uh, have often described it as if... Uh, Jeffrey Dahmer were Carrie, you know,
1: We're what? Uh, we're Carrie. <laughs> mm.
2: Um, so if you want to skip this synopsis, I'm not going to be real salacious about it, but just, just another trigger warning. So they inject drain cleaner into Brent's throat, paralyzing his vocal cords. And they laugh at him as he tries to scream. They all eat a very tense dinner of fried chicken and milk. And it's really hard to put into words how weird this is, but Lola is messing with Brent and daddy makes him comply by threatening with knives and a hammer. Brent says he has to go to the bathroom. I,
0: I'm going to be honest. We'll probably talk about this in the. You saw my I note. I saw your note then, on this, Mike. <laughs> this scene is fucking hot. I don't care. I'll say it. I am a dirty perv. <laughs> oh, no, I, no,
2: no. I could see yeah. in a certain light, if, if I were seeing this mo- this scene in isolation, Mm -hmm. I can see that reading. Um, But yeah, I don't judge. We don't judge as, you know, we're going to talk about You can judge
0: me, (laughs) listeners. It's okay. I can take Uh, it.
2: uh, So Brent says he has to go to the bathroom, and Lola makes him pee in her empty milk cup. If he can't go in 10 seconds, Daddy is going to nail his hmm, to the chair. Thank goodness he is able to do it. Brent manages to kick Lola and get away and climbs a tree outside, but they throw rocks at him and knock him out of it, and he's back in the kitchen. This time, Daddy pounds knives through his feet and into the floor. (laughs) Lola sits in his lap and enjoys watching him suffer. She wants him to cry, but he won't. Later, Lola is showing him pictures of her scrapbook. She's been doing this to boys since she was a little kid. They get to the one who got away, Timmy Valentine. He is Mia's brother and also the boy who wandered in front of the car and caused the crash that killed his dad. Lola says she's ready to draw on him now, which means cutting a heart in his chest with her initials in the middle, with a fork, and then throwing a whole bunch of salt in the wound. Meanwhile, Mia does not want to go into the dance. She and Jamie smoke and drink in the parking lot. Then she gives him a handjob on the dance floor, and a teacher kicks them out. Then they get in trouble for having sex in the parking lot. So, you know, it's it's just a roller coaster a for Jamie. A brilliantly funny scene. It is a really funny scene, yeah.
0: <laughs> Which props to that principle for being pretty cool about everything. I was going
2: to say, Between,
0: yeah. like... Getting a handy on the dance floor and then banging in the parking lot. And yeah. he's just like, just don't do it here.
2: Right. And I feel like you can tell the, you can read the disapproval in his face, but mm-hmm. he's like, these are kids. Just fucking get wow. out of here.
0: It know? would have been better if he's like, do it slow, son. <laughs> Make it last. Gross. Give it to her good. Just
2: appreciate these days. While then gives her
0: detention. If, did you orgasm? Oh, no. Then you get a detention, son. <laughs>
2: Oh, yeah. He handles it very well, suffice to say. (laughs) Um, All right. So back at the dance from hell, Lola has won Queen of the Dance. Steep competition there. Um, She makes Brent dance with her to that I'm not pretty enough song and says this is the song she's going to dance to at her wedding. But he's not the one for her. He's just another frog. She really wants to dance with Daddy, who is just kind of awkwardly standing above them throwing (laughs) confetti, which cracked me up. He's the real man of her dreams. She wants to kiss him, but he seems reluctant, but he still does it. While Lola gets all edible, Brent uses the razor to cut the ropes. Daddy and Lola open up a trap door to a screaming pit in their floor. They throw roadkill and water down in it to feed the other frogs. Holy shit. Ugh. I remember just thinking, what the fuck?
1: <laughs> it,
0: you know what this reminds me of? is like Barbarian. Yep. And mm-hmm. like, this is a movie that goes places you do not expect. And there are so many like, what the fuck moments. Yep.
2: In the best way. Yeah. Yes. Um, all right. So Brent is going to be Lola's first time. Not having sex, but making a human zombie. She's going to drill a head in his forehead and pour in boiling water. Suddenly, Bright Eyes makes a lot more sense. But Lola sucks at it and Daddy has to help her. Then the tea cuddle starts to boil ominously. Lola says it boils your brains and turns you into one of them. She's about to pour it in, but she's nervous. She spills and Daddy has to... Make the hole bigger. This is when I had to leave the room for on first watch. But while he's doing this, Brent manages to get free and use the knives in his feet to stab Daddy in the neck.
1: Ooh.
2: Ooh. Lola attacks him, but he breaks loose and throws Daddy into the pit. So fucking karma, ha! Where the frogs start to eat him, while he's watching in horror, Lola throws him into the pit. Lola then smothers Bright Eyes in her room. And we find out that Bright Eyes is Lola's mom. Yikes. Which opens up just a whole nother line of Mm -hmm. questioning. Oh, Holly remembers Brent saying that Lola asked him to the dance and tells Cop Dad. And so Cop Dad goes to, which is Mia's dad. Sorry, I was being, being silly. But so it's Mia's cop's dad. He goes to Lola's house, sees blood everywhere, starts to put some stuff together. He breaks in and opens the pit. But Lola stabs him right in the face with a butcher knife and he falls in. Lola says she's going to go kill Holly and his mom as revenge, but she leaves the dungeon door open and Brent, like a badass, climbs out using a pile of bodies. Lola is walking down the road to his house. She's covered in blood, still wearing her pink dress and is holding her scrapbook crown and a knife. I hate her, but I also love her. I love her. Too. <laughs> um,
0: and there's something comical about Oh yeah, this fight scene, too. The way it plays out. It really just is. A absurdist comic tinge to it as well.
2: It's just perfect. So Holly approaches in her car, but Lola throws her scrapbook and stops the car, then opens the door and tries to kill Holly. Brent has taken the cop car and is driving like 180 miles down trying to stop Lola and and swerves to Miss Holly in the road and accidentally just plows through Lola. Then (laughs) they get Holly gets in the car and they hug, although she's like, holy shit, what the fuck happened to you? Lola is still coming towards them with the knife, with the tip of a knife and her elbow, with her just broken hand just wagging everywhere.
0: That hand.
2: Oh, yeah.
0: So for listeners who haven't seen this, go watch it on Pluto. Mm -hmm. But her hand is basically held on by a hinge. like. A little tug and that thing is coming off.
2: Oh, and it's and so for some reason, that is not the most upsetting thing. The most upsetting thing to me is that she is dragging herself by her mm-hmm. elbow on the pavement. like oh you're scraping your elbow. You
0: figure how <gasps> hot that pavement must be in Australia. Oh my
2: God, yeah, oh. Ah, uh, all right. And so Brent notices her crawling towards them and backs over her. I'm sure he backs over her pretty fast, but we it happens very slowly on film. I just wrote, ha, huh, fuck you, Lola. We get to savor the look on her face as the car approaches. Holly drives Brent back to his house where he hugs his mom. Then they presumably take him to the hospital, although that happens or, off camera.
0: He has chores. <laughs>
2: or he has chores. Or that you know, that's just how they do it in Australia. They're a little mm-hmm. they're pretty tough down there. They
0: call that a Friday.
2: <laughs> they do, yeah. And that's the loved ones. Oh Ooh, <laughs> and it's gross, but it's so good. I was trying to describe this to my friend who doesn't like horror. And I was like, I really want you to watch this, but I know it's too much. <laughs> so, yeah. All right. So let's do a feelings check. And this is when we talk about our first experience with a movie and how it makes us feel when we watch it. And Mike, would you care to kick us off?
0: Yeah, I if you can't tell by the enthusiasm in my voice like I fucking love this movie and I don't know why I have not watched it even more Mm -hmm. I remember first hearing about it back probably in 2009 when I launched a blog called All Things Horror Uh, it was this like Australian movie that didn't have a release here and it was one of those titles over the coming years like Levide from France and Housebound also from Australia that I really wanted to see And unlike those two films, which are both good, Mm -hmm. like this one very much lived up to the hype. Um, It's an absolutely brutal film. Like it definitely falls under the torture porn category, which is something I'm usually not a fan of. Mm -hmm. Um, But for whatever reason, this one really hits for me. I think maybe because it just goes so much harder than a movie like Hostel does. Mm -hmm. And even like so much harder than any of the Saw films do. Like the violence in this movie is really, really shocking.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: Um, Australia as a region, like Australia and New Zealand, their films tend to go very, very hard. Like this era alone, the like the aughts, what you've gotten for movies have been some real classics. Like not only do you get the loved ones, you get Hounds of Love, The Snowtown Murders, Wolf Creek. All of those are very difficult watches, mm-hmm. especially Hounds of Love and The Snowtown Murders. Like great character studies, and I think The Loved Ones falls into this as well, where like you don't just get like flesh being ripped apart; like you get real three dimensional characters across the board. Mm-hmm. But you also get movies like Lake Mungo. Mm. You get Jennifer Kent's The Babadook, followed up by her uh, sophomore film The Nightingale. All of the those are from the region in the past 20 years. I think in the earlier like 2010s, there was the re-release of an os- osploitation fil- cal- film called Wake and Fright. I remember getting to see that at the Brattle Theater in Boston, and it's a truly gonzo film from the 70s. It has an all-time... Just like Donald Pleasance being a complete wackadoo.
1: Um,
0: So it's something I highly recommend. I love Sean Burns' other film as well. Like Mm -hmm. he also did The Devil's Candy starring Ethan Embry. And there are some themes that carry over in Mm -hmm. terms of like father daughter relations. They're just handled much, much differently thematically. I don't know why he doesn't have more movies out. Like this is a guy that should be working and working consistently because he is two for two as far as I'm concerned. Just Mm. two amazing genre pictures.
2: Yeah, I also really like The Devil's Candy a lot, but there are some child death Mm-hmm. themes in that that make it really really hard for me to watch so I've only watched it once um although yep. it also has a super hot performance by Ethan Embry who oh, was yeah. an old-time crush for me
0: speaking of daddies daddy oh Embry.
2: yeah woo! he's a he's the good kind of daddy like where it's okay to to be attractive to him Lola anyways I love this movie also I remember I the first time I watched it was because Faculty of Horror was going to do an episode about it I had not heard of it and so I sought it out to watch it and I was like blown away by it but also like had to leave the room when they started like drilling into his head and it's something about like the smoke from the drill that's yes oh like it just this movie is so visceral I agree with you that I don't tend to love torture porn. Like I have tried to watch some of the later Saw movies. I love the first Saw. um, Mm -hmm. And then I ended up giving up on the franchise. I'm sure I'll come back to it. But what I love about this and what makes me okay with how brutal and disgusting and visceral the violence is, is I feel like it really complements the theme of the movie you know there's it's not just that there is a purpose to the violence it's that the violence makes a statement that the movie is also Mm -hmm. making with its characters that i just fucking love
0: and it's the pain you control Mm -hmm. versus the pain that is out of your hands like the pain you cause yourself versus inflicted pain. I find that like a fascinating, fascinating dichotomy of something to look at.
2: Yeah. Yeah, I'm excited to talk about it in the context of self-harm because that's not a theme that I have really dug too deeply Mm -hmm. into this movie with. What usually stands out to me, just because of, you know, I love writing about a good female killer, you know. So I wrote an article for um, Grimm magazine in, let's see, what's the issue? It's their issue number 10, the bad romance issue about rejection and how, what Lola actually wants, where all this rage is coming from and not to excuse anything she does, but I think it's fascinating to think about in the context of this song, like she's complaining about like, am I not what you want? Well, fuck you. If I'm not what you want, I'm going to destroy you. Mm -hmm. And I think that is fascinating. I don't think that's quite what we're going to talk about with this, but that's, that's my uh, the big blaring light that I tend to to gravitate to. So I'm excited to have a different kind of conversation about this movie. I fucking love it. It's this is also like I watched this before I was podcasting, before I was writing, before I was really doing a lot of work in horror. And this was kind of a tipping point for me because I was so excited about this movie and I wanted to talk about it. And nobody I knew had ever heard of it. Mm -hmm. And it really caused me to start seeking out, like, people to talk about horror with. Um, So I'll always be grateful to this movie for that also. And I just love it. Like, there's something, the dichotomy between the blood and the glitter is just chef's kiss. Like, I just love it. I think it uses music so well. So cannot wait to talk about it. All right. So let's get into our mental health Mm -hmm. issue and which is going to be, again, we gave a trigger warning earlier. So um, we're going to be talking about self-harm. We're going to be talking about suicidal ideation. Again, we love you. We completely understand if this is not the episode for you.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we basically initially talked about covering intimacy versus isolation, which is Mm -hmm. one of Erickson's themes. I think we've discussed that before in some of our, other episodes but re-watching the loved ones last night like there were a couple themes that jumped out so much that i'm mm-hmm. like you know what i'm going to introduce and in, introduce them here briefly and then we'll touch on like how the movie depicts them like once we get into the discussion proper mm-hmm. so again we've offered the content warning it's a very delicate subject for a lot of people i think it's depicted very well in the loved ones I agree. and it is essential to the plot, but. Feel free to jump ahead a few minutes if you need to do so.
2: Yeah, and I'll put time codes into the episode notes also for that.
0: Okay. So really quickly, (laughs) let's define what self-harm is. It's the act of hurting yourself, and that harm can take the form of physical harm or emotional harm. The behaviors that are most consistently associated with self-harm are things like cutting, skin picking, or burning oneself. Emotional self-harm refers to unhealthy forms of coping. More often than not, it's like the negative self-talk we engage in, uh, in and self-destructive thoughts that kind of hurt our emotional well-being. These can be what our core beliefs are, and a core belief are the thoughts we most deeply feel when it comes to how we see ourselves, how we see our environment, how we see the world at large, and then our own place within it. That's typically what you're Make up your core beliefs. Just some brief examples of emotional self harm consistent thoughts that you're not good enough, always hating what you see when you look in the mirror, the consistent belief that you're not worthy of love or friendship or companionship, and also like the need to please others at the expense of your own well being, which leads to usually taking part in abusive relationships
2: wouldn't know anything about any of that (laughs) right
0: none of us have ever engaged
2: (laughs) oh no no
0: in anything (laughs) like that whatsoever so self-harm can lead to a whole host of problems like aside from the accidental serious injury the other problems can include like increased frequency duration and intensity of depressive anxious or other mental health episodes uh they can lead you do see some correlation between eating disorder and self-harm as well very often.
2: Mm -hmm. I've experienced that.
0: Yeah. (laughs) I do want to point out that self-harm and suicidal ideation are two different things. There is this misconception that exists in some circles that cutting will lead directly to planning or even attempting suicide. And the reasons why a person would engage in self-harm are typically rooted in different circumstances that, say, suicidal ideation would be. Mm-hmm. People who engage in intentional self-harm, is a, usually it's a psychological release valve. Self-harm occurs for a few reasons, including offering the individual the illusion of self-control. It's a way to express their pain through physical means when they don't feel like they have the emotional or verbal capacity to do so. It can serve as a distraction or a means to punish themselves. Uh, It can be a way to feel pleasure or just try to not feel anything at all. Like all that pain can numb the person from the emotional damage they feel at that moment. And it's part of this cycle. And the cycle is often associated with these very extreme and intense feelings of like anger, sadness, anxiety, or just kind of emotional neglect. This feeling like you're just drifting out there. And the act of harm allows the person to take their mind like really briefly off these intense feelings. And in essence, it allows them to let off steam. It distracts them from the uh, the real problem. But the problem with this is that feeling of mental relief, it's typically pretty fleeting. And it tends to, the more you harm yourself, the less effect that you get from the act itself over time. So not only does that original emotional state that led to self-harm return, it's also compounded by these additional feelings of guilt over the act, anger at oneself for committing it, and this feeling of helplessness that they just like don't have the coping skill to relieve these emotional states in a healthier way, and this fear that like this is just the way it's going to be forever and ever.
2: Yeah. Another thing mm-hmm. that I tend to... That I have felt because I've engaged in this. Unfortunately, I'm getting a lot better and I'm talking to my therapist about mm-hmm. it. Just want to give that disclaimer. But, like, you also are hurting like there is a part of your body that is injured or now in pain that that doesn't just immediately stop hurting depending on what you do and there's a feeling of shame with that also you know like is somebody gonna see my scar is somebody gonna know I did this so it's all just which it can be part of that emotional self-harm also Mm -hmm. like they're gonna know that I'm fucked up and that's a way of punishing myself too you know
0: yeah I would say for me it would be like when I have like a binge eating episode and mm-hmm. then like try to hide the evidence of it, yep, you know, and like, it's a totally like a self-harm behavior. Cause like, Oh, I had a really bad day today and like, I'll be good all day. And then the minute I'm alone, like late at night, like engage in eating like a huge pile of food, but then trying to bury the evidence and then feeling bad about doing so, which I have not done for a long while. So yay. Good. Um,
2: yeah. Yeah, I've, I've done that too. Um, I did that with alcohol is what I Mm -hmm. did it with a lot, you know, knowing that, you know, at a certain point it's like, I'm going to keep drinking because I know that this is going to screw up the next day for me, you know?
0: Yeah. Uh, It's like, what's the point? I'm already at this degree. Like, why not just make it worse? Like how much worse can it get?
2: Exactly. Yeah. 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 Um, I remember the first time that I ever had a thought of self-harm was when I was about to marry my first husband. It was like a couple of days away. Mm -hmm. And it was just such a really, really dark time in my life. And I just remember thinking my head hurts so bad. Like I'm so upset if I just, and I was at the gym and I had a weight mm-hmm. in my hand and it was like, if I just smash myself in the face with this weight, I'll stop having to think about yep. this. And I didn't, but it was that it was like, I just need right. something that's going to hurt worse
0: and than stress Exactly.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And when I talk about like, I almost brought this up in our hell house LLC episode. Like I think of sometimes like watching a super scary movie for me as a more positive way of dealing with that need to distract. It's like, this is going to scare me in a safe way so much Mm -hmm. that I don't have to think about the other stuff,
0: you know? No, I can totally see that. Absolutely.
2: Like my therapist also has told me to hold an ice cube in my hand because I'm getting a painful sensation, but it's not actually doing damage, you know? So it's a way of getting that, that distraction or that sensation That's a little more positive. (laughs) Sorry, did I just skip
0: ahead? You brought that up. No, it's great. It's great you brought that up. And I do the same thing, to Mm -hmm. be quite honest. But that's controversial, which we'll discuss here in a moment. So, self harm, like how is it treated? Like it's often treated through cognitive behavioral therapy and also through using less harmful substitutes. Hmm. So, cognitive therapy explores the negative thinking that leads to self harm as well as like the history behind those thoughts as well like where do those thoughts come from what are they rooted in when do they develop and i often especially when i talk to kids about it i i compare doing cognitive behavioral therapy to being like a private investigator or a detective mm-hmm. like you're examining the evidence and you're trying to find the facts and then lay it out like which parts of these are actually true or have some truthfulness to them Mm -hmm. to varying degrees but where where is the false evidence where are the lies Mm -hmm. where are the things that if you were on trial we would throw them out of court because they would be inadmissible because they're false
1: Mm
2: -hmm.
0: i don't know if that works as an analogy but i like it so there you go
2: sounds similar to something my therapist has said to me so.
0: Excellent. So cognitive therapy looks to attack cognitive distortion, such as all or nothing thinking, disqualifying positive evidence. Like, look, as people that like put our work out there, Jen through her writing and podcasting, myself mostly through podcasting, we will look at our reviews and we might get like 25 positive, like five star reviews. But then one one star review comes in and what do we fixate on? Mm-hmm. And we throw all of the positive evidence out and be like, we must be terrible because of this like one one-star review. That would be an example of a cognitive distortion. Mm-hmm. Uh, Also, like mind reading, like telling people, I know exactly how this person is going to act, so why bother? Mm -hmm. Fortune telling and then catastrophizing. Everything is either the best or everything is the absolute worst. It's like the state of modern film criticism, basically, when you think of catastrophizing. (laughs) So substitutions include like writing on oneself with a Sharpie, holding an ice cube tightly in the palm of the hand. Because after about probably ten seconds, like it starts to really hurt.
1: Mm-hmm. But
0: when you let it go, there's no mark that's there at that point. Yeah. Uh, or snapping a rubber band on your wrist when the urge to self harm hmm. occurs. And to be honest, like recommending alternatives in and of itself can be controversial. It, I admit it's something that I do recommend, especially in the early stages of treating self-harm yeah. because the person doesn't have the coping skills yet. They haven't practiced. Like the co- cognitive therapy is really, really powerful and it really, really works, but it takes a lot of practice. Mm-hmm. It's not something that you can do 45 minutes to an hour a week in a session with your therapist and then forget about it until the next time you come back. Like you literally have to attack your thoughts every single time that negative thought comes up. You have to attack it, attack it, attack it. And that's very, very hard to commit to and very hard to do. Yeah. So while a person is learning that skill and practicing that skill, I do think like the ice cube and the elastic band, but um,
2: And I think like these, it those, works. Yeah, it has worked for me because mm-hmm. especially for me with like having my OCD stuff like this behavior becomes really compulsive. Mm-hmm. It can be really addictive. So I look at like what my go to self harm is scratching myself with a thumbtack. And so yep. like, the goal is not for me to hold ice cubes for the rest of my life. The goal is right. for me to do that until I stop going to and your then fade off it, and then stop and I doing think that. That's
0: yeah. the thing is like hopefully the holding the ice cube, the rubber band, the drawing in a sharpie. The hope is that those won't be permanent solutions. Right, that there'll be like a temporary solution as you work through. Your cognitive distortions,
2: right? And like, what is the cause that is making me go mm-hmm. here? While I'm figuring that out, this is a less damaging mm-hmm. thing. Yeah. I also have a little um, sharp fidgets, like they're little rings that have like mm-hmm. wire corners on them that are like kind of like like a steel wool, but not nearly as sharp. But that's yep. like has been a really good substitution for me because I can just poke my finger on it. I can get that sharp, but it's not sharp enough to cut me.
1: Right.
0: So
2: Excellent. yeah.
0: Moving on from that, let's move on to the second thing we see in the loved ones. Briefly, going to mention the psychoanalytic concept of the Electra complex, <laughs> which is really on full display here. The oh, loved yeah. ones, like, and that's the like subtext. the I
2: said edible earlier, right? But I should have yep. said Electra, it's right? The
0: flip, it's the flip it's side just, of it. Just I mean, we swapping, know what. You're, right? Yeah, the subtext is most definitely the text here in the oh, loved yeah. ones, like literal text. So the electric complex is the inverse of Freud's Oedipus complex, which suggests that deep down, all boys want to kill their fathers and replace them as the romantic and sexual partners of their mothers. The electric complex suggests that daughters want to replace their mothers and become romantic partners of their fathers. According to Freud, in the early psychosexual development, when a girl realizes she doesn't have a penis, and hey, it's 2022. Just want to say that some uh, girls and women do have penises and some men do not have penises. They do become like in, in this case, like when a assigned at birth female learns that she doesn't have a penis, they become more attached to their fathers and angry with their mothers for, quote unquote, castrating them. So those were Freud's early ideas, but the term "electra complex itself was coined by uh, Carl Jung in 1913. It has its roots in the Greek myth of Electra, who plotted her mother's death after the murder of her father. In Freud and Jung, they were contemporaries and they were close friends originally, but Jung quickly grew disenchanted with Freud's over-reliance on psychosexual explanations and all his theories. So according to Freud, the electric complex develops in the phallic stage of the psychosexual development, which is usually between ages three and six, which is what we see here, I think, with like the first victim mm-hmm. and how young that kid is. We'll mm-hmm. talk about that in the movie. And it's the id, which is the primitive and instinctive parts of our personality driving this penis envy. And to resolve this conflict, those urges have to be repressed from conscious memory. Needless to say, this is really not a widely accepted view among the majority of mental health professionals in modern times. Yeah. So, on that note, let's shift our discussion to the movie and Yay. where we see these things play out.
2: Yeah. And maybe let's keep going with that Electra complex because mm-hmm. I think this is a really interesting dissection of that. And I agree with you. I think that is a little on the nose. Um, But what I think I connect to in that is kind of what I was talking about earlier is I wouldn't say it's speaking for myself. It wouldn't be when I realized I didn't have a penis. It's when I realized I didn't have power that I Mm -hmm. believe I deserve based on, you know, just being a person in the world. And I think that's what it's just so filtered through gender dynamics and gender accepted gender roles in this movie. Like, I think just looking at her room is just fascinating and it just tells such a story in just a couple of images you know like seeing all of her barbies in these really really pornographic fashion like with the the boys faces all like melted you know
1: mm-hmm. it
2: just shows this rage that she has internalized And it's not even real like we don't see it coming from anyone else. It's like she has been living with this rage of not being good enough, not being enough, not able to be what she what she believes she's supposed to be because this is what she thinks the world has told her she's supposed to be for her entire life. And it comes out. I mean, there are a lot of factors, but it comes out in this need to destroy boys or men, you know, anybody who's not daddy, you know.
0: Really quickly, I'm distracted because my rabbit has hopped up on her little hutch, uh-huh. and she's staring at the new bag of hay. And she's looking at it, and she's just gauging, "Can I make that jump? Can I make that jump?" <laughs>
2: say, "Hey, oh, yeah, can sorry. I make it?" Oh, <laughs> well, okay. Well, you're gonna have to keep us updated if she gets there.
0: I do think that I agree with you because her it's it's not about the penis, but the penis represents power. Yeah, and. You see this when she's like domineering Brent, mm-hmm. how like she just yells in his face. Like she, yeah, she's going for it. Uh-oh. She's got her paws on the thing and she's eating right out of the bag of hay. Oh, there is fresh hay in her box.
1: <laughs> so, <laughs> that hay is always sweeter on the other right. side, you know?
0: Like she's, de- you know, demanding him to commit certain acts. And like when he doesn't respond emotionally, to the way that she wants him and expects him to, when he's defiant, mm-hmm. that's when like her real dark side comes out.
2: Mm-hmm. When he will not and, cry, yeah. right?
0: And it's interesting because she always turns back to her father and is like, "Daddy, get the hammer."
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Right? It's always like the threat of what her father is going to do to Brent. So she's wielding like you know the masculine power as a tool at that point.
1: Mm-hmm. You know
0: she's hesitant to drill the hole in Brent's skull mm. when it's not when she can't pour the water in to the hole. She's like, you need to make the hole bigger. Like she wants she wants the power. But really what she wants is to have others wield that power for her at her. Community.
2: Right. Exactly. And that's what I think is so interesting. And I mean, I think it's also because we are looking at her in like a teen like she's a teenager right now. Mm-hmm. I wonder If she had gotten away, like what an adult Lola would look like, you know, Um, I shudder to think about what an adult Mm -hmm. Lola would look like. But I do think it's really interesting. Like if I were to choose another topic to talk about this film through, it would be like internalized patriarchy or internalized misogyny Mm -hmm. because it's all coming from her because you're right. She doesn't actually hold the hammer. She wants She wants the protection of a man, but she is also enraged that she has to ask for it because she doesn't feel like she can wield it for herself. And when she does try, she gets scared. And it's because of all of these images that she's grown up with. Like, if we look at the song, like, am I not pretty enough? Am I not good enough? Like, you're never going to love me because I'm not enough. Like, she just believes that there is an ideal Mm-hmm. which is a princess she's never going to be an actual princess and so this just she interprets that as being worthless and so she gets mad at people like brent who she just assumes it's what you were saying it's like predicting like i'm predicting that he's gonna reject me because other people have or because you know i'm just expecting it but then she also gets really mad at holly because holly seems to have found this way of be becoming the princess that lola wants to be mm-hmm. you know
0: and the irony, and to a certain degree, is like Robin McLeavy, who, she's playing an 18-year-old. She's only six years younger than I am.
1: Mm-hmm. I did look
0: that up <laughs> uh-huh. because I'm like, for I reasons. didn't want to feel, for reasons. Um, So she's in her, like, late 20s when she does, plays this role, which is not uncommon. And I no. think she can pass as a teenager in it. Oh, yeah. But, like, Lola is gorgeous. I mean, she is not an unattractive. Like the three main young women in this movie are all like very conventionally attractive women in in different ways. Mm-hmm. And Lola is like really really beautiful. So it's funny. I, you kind of almost want like a prequel. You almost want like a Lola first kill oh, to see mm-hmm. what it to. was about her uh, upbringing that made her feel this way about herself because she's getting the attention of her dad. Like her dad is Dotes in her, mm-hmm. and Bright Eyes, her mother. Like, is that where it came from, and and was that what led to like was like constant criticism from the mother? What led to her maybe being like the first victim for them, and getting lobotomized and becoming Bright Eyes at that point?
2: Yeah,
0: because like I'm just gonna say it right here, like I fucking have the hots for lola <laughs> like take how jen talks about <laughs> ethan hawk and 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 josh hartnett and just like turbocharge it because it's just wow
1: mm-hmm.
2: <laughs> yeah and she's great in this role too mm-hmm. and that's what i think is so fascinating and compelling about this too and one of the things in that i wanted to talk about and that i've written about with this is like What does she actually want? And Mike, you in the notes have said, like, Brent is as kind to her as he possibly Mm -hmm. can be. Like, he doesn't, nobody deserves this, but he, it's not like he laughed at her. It's not like he rejected her in a cruel way. She's not Carrie, you know? Like, she, I mean, we only see her really interact on one day of school, but, like, she's not getting picked on.
0: You get the feeling she's a bit of an outcast, because, like, when... Brent does go to tell Holly. He's like, "Oh, you're never going to guess who asked me to the prom." And that kind of like phrasing gives a suggestion like she's the class outcast, and it's mm-hmm. probably just because of how she presents herself. Yeah. Um, also, growing up in a
2: house like that, I think is going to warp you just a little bit. Oh,
0: absolutely! Having a bunch of feral ghouls under your <laughs> right in, in your basement—that's going to slip Rochelle, into your
2: everyday interactions that, that, a little. Yeah, bit.
0: that might impede your emotional well-being. <laughs> yeah like she's probably the out- one of the outcasts at the school like you could see a version of this where like Jamie and Lola like partner up and and do really well together and are maybe like a really cute little like outcast couple, yeah, as opposed to her being this crazy murderer, but yeah, and alas, I think that's not what we got
2: and that's one of those like chicken or egg nature nurture kind of things, mm-hmm. you know, like I feel like at this point it's it's. She's yeah. pretty screwed. But like what I think is fascinating is like what if Brent had said yes? What if she had gone to the dance with Brent? I feel like she still would have found a way to Be rejected by him. Yeah. And it wouldn't be, she wouldn't reject him. She would find something that he did wrong that she could blame. Exactly. Which I think is maybe a tiny bit of like a self harm kind of thing for her. It's Mm -hmm. like she wants the pain of listening to the song, Am I Not Pretty Enough? so that she can activate that anger, you know?
0: Yep. Yeah. It's a self fulfilling prophecy. And Mm -hmm. it's again, ignoring the positive evidence and catastrophizing. Yeah. So I think we've all maybe experienced in a relationship when you just look for the bad <laughs> yep. for whatever reason and you're looking for things to go wrong like you self-sabotage yourself so it might not have been like the prom but at some point down the road like brent is gonna do something to disappoint lola like that's part of being in a relationship is you have to understand that you know we're human beings are fallible we're going to disappoint others mm-hmm. and when that happened there would be no understanding, no empathy and no kind of like fair fighting and talking it out. Like she would go immediately to DEF CON five and sick daddy after him.
2: I mean, isn't that just being girl boss though? You know? Yes. That's being girl boss. <laughs> and
0: I, that's when girl boss what,
2: goes wrong.
0: <laughs> what if, you know, what would happen if like Lola was in a healthy relationship? How would the father react?
2: I know. Yeah.
0: The gross thing about, this movie is like the dad is into it like and she's obviously very comfortable with her body and her sexuality around her father like she you know undresses in front of him mm-hmm. without a moment's hesitation well, she and dad, makes him stay like, yeah yeah and you can see in his eyes at that point like he is conflicted but he is very and he's conflicted because he's having these very obvious sexual feelings towards his daughter like mm-hmm. later on when she says to him like oh daddy everyone else is a frog and you're my prince and it's always you that I want like she goes in for the kiss and he's like all right i guess i guess we're going to do this and then yeah. it's interrupted but it is um and look like there are i mean let's be real like there are very popular categories of like adult filmmaking that deal explicitly with like mother son and dad daughter and family yeah. like incest, like it's like such a taboo that to like you know, there is a titillation in just trying to approach it.
2: Mm-hmm. Well, and it's interesting. Like, is this the time that they finally go over the line and he finally kisses her, or is this something they've repeated many, many times? Mm-hmm. And it's like this cat and mouse thing because she's very yeah. much driving this attraction that mm-hmm. we see, but. I don't think it comes out of the blue, you know, Mm -hmm. and he, he feels very reluctant, but he still does it. And it's just, it's, it's interesting, but I Mm -hmm. think he is ultimate power in her eyes. And that's the thing too. It's not like he's hot. He's like. I mean, he's no Ethan Emory, you know. It's not. He looks his
0: age. I mean, he he's does. Like a he looks like a something... regular guy,
2: you know. Yeah. And I, that's part. That was probably me, and I'm sure Daddy is a very kind right. gentleman uh, who has a very it's healthy love It's not like life.
0: Logan Marshall Green in The Invitation. Oh yeah, the, you know. Uh
2: huh. Sorry for that, uh, everyone. But yeah, and and my point in saying that is, I don't think that she is. I think what she is attracted to is the power that he represents. She wants the hammer. And if she Mm -hmm. and she wants, I think she has decided because she also hates bright eyes and constantly is like, oh, like trying to pit herself against bright eyes to be better. Humiliate her. Exactly. Like, oh, daddy's not going to like you anymore. Which one do you think looks prettier? And Mm -hmm. that is trying to get as close to the source of power as she can. She wants to be she does not want to be the princess. She wants to be the queen. Right. And if Daddy is the king, then she has to be the queen by getting with him.
0: Right. And when it comes to power, like I, I have this note here. Like one of the things that's fascinating about Lola is that she's not I don't know what her sexual experience is, mm-hmm. but she's not like sexually unknowledgeable. Like the scene with the the scenes where she has Brett tied to the chair and is dominating him, like we really haven't covered kink yet in any real depth Mm -hmm. and we might with our next show (laughs) if this scene is of course like entirely non-consensual but if it was consensual like the acts that she's doing there like where Brent is first tied to the chair and she makes him like lick her fingers and then like when she I'm gonna just say it like takes out his dick and like makes him pee in front of her and counts him down like I am sorry but that is like a really hot portrayal of sexual dominance like she knew what she was doing like she had some, could wield some wheel power in those circumstances much more so than you would think like a typical like 18 year old young woman would feel comfortable doing like Mm -hmm. those scenes are meant to make you feel really uncomfortable but there is that like holy shit like that is real like dominance going on there it's fun to watch in a perverse <laughs> yeah. way if, if it were
2: a consent consensual scene i if think it, it would have an entirely yes. different mm-hmm. you know
0: yeah well not and, when your feet are nailed to the floor ooh,
2: with knives. oh unless you're into that and you consented we're not gonna pink mm-hmm. shame um but yeah and I, mean, I think you can also see that in like the positions of her barbies you know mm-hmm. and and what's interesting is we know that Brent is going to be her first, which means that all of the other frogs Daddy has created. So she's grown up watching him do this to people. Mm-hmm. We see him being really subdued and submissive to her, not submissive to Brent, but like he is at her beck and call for whatever she yep. wants in this whole exchange. But I wonder what his like I this is the first time watching that that I was like, oh, was Bright Eyes like this before Lola was born? Like, mm-hmm. was he? And we don't know. So it's just speculation. Like, was that, did, did Bright Eyes, part of me thinks that because they call her Bright Eyes instead of an actual name, that maybe they didn't know what her name was. Mm-hmm. And they just call her that because daddy but she is the her. mom. Yeah, she is Lola's mom. Yeah. But was she... Did she marry Daddy and have a child consensually with her, or was she mm-hmm. a frog from the moment that she met Daddy? that's and, an interesting you know? reading.
0: I haven't really considered that. I almost wondered if it was like uh Billy and Henry in Creep show where mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. Billy uh is always ordering Henry around, and you know like uh, he obviously like doesn't want to be married to her but Lacks like the intestinal fortitude to end of the relationship and Mm -hmm. move on in a healthy way. But there's also that aspect of that relationship when she's like, Oh, you know, what would you do without me? You know, like she gets off on dominating him, even though he disgusts her because like he's so kind of like submissive. Mm -hmm. And he also, there's a part of him that like enjoys that exchange, even if he won't admit it. I wonder if like Lola grew up in a household where bright eyes your mom ordered dad around and dad had always been this kind of like very passive and submissive figure that was maybe at his wife's beck and call but as you know and again with the electric complex when does that develop Mm -hmm. between the ages of three and six and you see With the first male victim, it's like one of her like kindergarten classmates, Mm -hmm. which would be around age of five, and she's like, "Oh, he cried, he peed himself." You can see how she gets off on like men in power or the males that have power being made weak Mm -hmm. at that point, showing fear and humiliated. Um,
1: Yeah, and
0: humiliated. The one time where dad is assertive is when if we're using the Drilling a hole into Brent's skull as the kind of allegory uh for the first time that she's having penetrative sex.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And all of the other boys before that were kind of leading up to it, like the high school relationships, the puppy love, the crushes that you have before that. But now she's gonna actually have sex for the first time. Mm-hmm. And dad becomes the stand-in for Brent. Like dad is that's when he's assertive. Like you can see when he grabs Brent, like he's holding him tight. He has him basically in a death grip, and he's telling her, "Like, here's how you hold the drill. Like, you have to press it in harder. Put it against your body. Hold it with two hands." Like he's being—that's when he starts to assert his own dominance, and it's, and it's basically when he's going to fuck his daughter.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: God, I fucking love this movie. So I do much. too.
2: It's so good. I mean, it is fucked up, but it's like such a rich text of shit to talk mm-hmm. about. You know? Oh yeah yeah and I think like I could see Lola like learning at the knee of her mom how to like mm-hmm. boss men around but also like it's like Holly like she's this resentment is growing because this mm-hmm. is a woman that has more power than her and so where the tipping point comes when she convinces daddy to frogify mom you know and and now I, I mean and what is like taking her name away that's like a depersonalization thing you know and it's just, I think it's great that we don't ever find out because I think, like, I am equally horrified by the fact that this woman has been like this for mm-hmm. Lola's entire life, or the fact that Lola actually did this to her own mom, no. you know?
0: And then she eventually, again, like carrying that, you know, Freudian concept a step further, like, she actually does kill her mother. Like, mm-hmm. she smothers her mother with a pillow, killing her and that's when you get the reveal that it was her mom mm-hmm. uh, but she does it after her father has already been killed mm-hmm. so he she can't compete for his sexual affections anymore and that's when she decides to kill him and she essentially orphans herself
2: mhm well that's interesting like she could have killed her anytime you know mm-hmm. but she can't override her dad's control you know dad. that but- is dad's chosen Companion, Lola is yeah. not. Um, yeah, I think yeah, you're right. Do you see
0: his hesitancy to say like, "Oh, Lola, you're prettier than your mom." Like mm-hmm. he doesn't want to answer.
2: Just, just, oh, it's so fucked up, but it's so it just is like this complete circle that I just mm-hmm. love. Um, well, shall we transition a little bit over into self talk, self harm? Sure. In this so movie, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and before we do, I want to talk just a little bit about suicidal ideation because we mm-hmm. mentioned that earlier and i yeah. think that what i see is um brent when he hangs on the cliff and he it's like you can see this piece kind of wash over his face and then he like comes back to himself and realizes what yeah. he's doing and pulls himself back up yep yeah. which it's is its when he
0: starts to slip and mm-hmm. he could just let go and it would look like an accident i mean that's yeah. the end of the day like it would look like a fall But he catches himself and realizes that, as we'll kind of talk about, like there are things that he does have to live for.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: And I think you see that in this movie, like Brent is a fighter, like at any moment, if he really wanted to die, he could kind of just give in to what is going on. Mm -hmm. Um, But he chooses to fight.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And it lines up with the, I haven't had a ton of suicidal ideation and Mm -hmm. that's not true. I have intrusive thoughts that take the form of suicidal ideation Mm -hmm. a lot. And I like that you said they're different than Mm self-harm because mine is much more related to self-harm but the couple of times that i have actually been close i don't know if i would ever actually call myself suicidal but it was that realization of like oh this is real this is actually Mm going to happen that like pulled me back in you know it's like this thought of what am i going to leave behind you know and i think we see Brent kind of realized that, that like Mm -hmm. it feels good to flirt with this because that takes the immediate pain away. Mm
1: -hmm.
2: But I don't actually want this, you know? Yeah.
0: I've been very fortunate in that I have very rarely ever had suicidal ideation. And when I did, it was decades ago at this point, it was like after a very serious relationship ended not acrimoniously, but just ended, mm-hmm. uh, and it was like very final that that was going to be the end of the relationship. And then also like when I left my friends, my family, my environment to go to a job that I ended up hating very quickly and feeling like oh, like Joe Bluth in Arrested <laughs> of Development, oh made I've made a, a terrible mistake. mistake. Mm-hmm. And it was funny like both times what really pulled me back was like literally seeing the same band like in a basement setting. And being like, all right, there are wonderful things to live for. And like literally seeing Army of Paunch at the lowest points of my life, like a screamo band that maybe a hundred people listened to from Gainesville uh, Mm -hmm. is what pulled me back.
2: Yeah. And part of mine, too, was like, what what am I Are my kids going to find me? You Mm -hmm. know, like, what am I going to which is something I think we've seen in some movies recently, like Smile, I think, about. Mm -hmm. um What's the movie that I've talked about a lot? Uh, I'll say it for a thing. God damn it. No, Eat Me, where she's yep. thinking through like... What is it? Eat Me. Um, eat Me. Yeah, it's it's really good. It's Jacqueline Wright. It's a really little mm-hmm. known movie. Really, really fucking hard watch. I did a episode of um, Certified Forgotten About It. But okay. she is going through... She's, I know you've
0: mentioned that movie before. Too. Yeah,
2: it's it's just really powerful. But she's going through the motions of... Planning her suicide, and she's like hiding her dildo and she's like hiding, mm-hmm. like cleaning her house up a little bit, you know, because she's like, somebody's gonna find my body. And that yep. it was me thinking about that, that was like, I don't want that for anybody I know, you know, I yeah. don't want that for a long time. I think I thought my self harm ideation was suicidal ideation, like, mm-hmm. I don't think I realized the difference between it. And for me, it took like my suicidal ideation was a lot less specific. As far yeah. as method, you know, whenever it was self-harm, it was like thinking about actually cutting or actually like right. going out in the freezing cold or something like that, you know. And and I was really afraid to talk to my therapist about it because I thought she was going to commit me, which is something we right. talked about in our unsane episode. Yep. Um, but I got so much relief from talking about it because my therapist was like, that doesn't sound like suicidal ideation. That sounds like self-harm to me. So, so all that to say, if you are nervous about bringing it up with your therapist, don't be. I agree. Um, well, and I think we see Brent, like Brent is engaging in self-harm with a razor blade, um, which is, as you mentioned, is a, a pretty common method. Mm -hmm. Um, the first time I think I noticed it in film was with the affair when, um, the, one of the characters there is cutting the bottom of her leg. And -hmm. what's interesting about self-harm ideation for me, that was the first time I think I realized, oh, I can, that's a way I can hurt myself. You know, like that's why we give trigger warnings. And that's why I think trigger warnings are important. I think they can be, Mm -hmm. we've talked about whether they're, overused but i think for me sometimes like i watch a show like sharp objects and i see somebody use a needle and i'm like oh i can use a needle that's another way i can do it and it like gets in my head you know
0: self like with self-harm it's one of the few areas where like group therapy is typically not recommended Mm -hmm. because like it can become a it can become like an environment where persons discuss like here's like you learn new ways to do it and it can yep. actually for someone who from my understanding, and I apologize if I'm saying this in a clunky way or if I get it wrong, but from the reading I've done, because I was looking at like, how do I help kids out that mm-hmm. have been engaging in this? Cause usually that's who I see engage in it. And I'm like, do I do a small group? And as I was like doing research on, it, it's like, Oh, one of the major issues with it can be a implanting new ideas, but also, raising the level of intent mm. um through exposure through it so mm-hmm. that was uh it's usually dealt with on a 1 to 1 setting at that point but yeah media it's one of the few things where i would say like media has maybe a stronger influence on the individual than say like suicide or violence mm-hmm.
2: and i know i've heard that the practice in journalism reporting on suicide is to not Give specifics of how Mm -hmm. someone died by suicide because you don't want to provide a how to manual, you know, Mm -hmm. or like get that just, it just gives you ideas, you know? Yeah. Um, I keep losing my train of thought with this one.
0: That's okay. It's a difficult topic. It
2: is is a Um, difficult topic. What
0: I found fascinating with this movie is you see both Brent and Mia engaging in different forms of self harm. Mm -hmm. And in the case of Brent, you see a mixture of like what I would call healthy and unhealthy coping strategies.
2: Okay, let me see if I can figure out which ones the healthy ones are. Like I would say rock climbing is maybe healthy. Yeah. (laughs) Like that's physical exertion. Another way Mm -hmm. that I have done self-harm is through extreme exercise, which for me has started out very healthy. It's I'm just moving my body and then suddenly I – push, 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 push until like I'm hurting, you know,
0: past the point of exertion and in getting any physical benefit. Sure.
2: Yeah, exactly. When I look at Mia also, I think I really feel for her. I see myself a a lot in Mm -hmm. Mia, you know, using substances and using sex to avoid painful feelings because, you know, that's one, one thing I think is so brilliant about this movie is that we realize that she is the brother. So she is, Mm dealing with her own loss and it's all from the same source but that it's another way of harming yourself is doing these really destructive things that you know like she's doing this on the floor of her school you know mm-hmm. she, she knows everybody can see her you know
0: yeah mia is a it's a really tragic figure because the way the story begins like her introduction she's introduced as i would call her like the hot unavailable woman mhm Like, she's really attractive. She is almost unapproachable.
1: Mm -hmm. Like, she's
0: someone that it's like, she carries an aura about her. Yeah. And, like, for Jamie to land her as a date, like, that's really cool.
2: Yeah. It would be interesting to see her before that, you know, how much much more extreme she is. Exactly.
0: And that is, like, one of the things that, I really like watching this portrayal go through. Like it's a really sad arc for her, Mm -hmm. especially when you think of the aftermath of the movie. So when you, you have like these really comical scenes with her and Jamie, where like Jamie goes to pick her up and like, I really like Jamie. Like he seems like a good dude. He's like Mm -hmm. very funny, but he's also very awkward. Like when he gives Brent his condom, he's like, I'm not going to need this. Like just that to me is like showing like a, Self-depreciation and self-awareness. And a lot of, he's like, yeah, fuck it. This is, it's going to go to waste in my wallet.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: And like, you can see, like, it's really sad because like, you can tell they love their daughter very much, Mm -hmm. right? And you don't know why they are the way they are. And you just kind of think it's like, oh, they think Mia is going through this like rebellious stage and they obviously care about her, but they don't know how to relate to her. Mm -hmm. They don't know, like they love her, but don't know if they like her. Yeah, But then you learn, like, they're going through their own grieving process. And they, you know, the mom asks, like, when the dad checks on Mia and she's in her room crying, like, why can't you find him? Him being the brother we see at the beginning of the movie in the middle of the road. Like, why can't you find him? And when mom asks, like, how is she? He's like, oh, you know, like, she's okay.
1: Mm-hmm. Like, because
0: he's not okay and he doesn't know how to comfort his daughter in that yeah. moment. Before that, you see, like, the scenes when, like, Jamie and Mia are just, like, smoking weed in the car and rocking out to heavy metal, and she's like, come here, like, I'll feed you when he says he's hungry. Mm -hmm. Like, I love those bonding scenes. And then, like, the sex scene, like, she's like, you think that she's sexually empowered, but Mm -hmm. she's like, she's just like, hey, you and I, we're going to do it right now, and, like, she's in control of the situation, but it's really, like. She's filling herself with alcohol, with Mm. drugs, with misery, with sex, because there's this huge void in her life that Mm -hmm. she doesn't know how to fill. And what's really sad is that void only gets bigger at the end of the movie because her father is killed, like her father is killed by Lola. So now like she's missing her brother and she's missing her father. That's another wound that she's going to have to treat uh, before she can move on from the loss of her brother. I don't see her and Jamie together. I see this as a one-off, like, Jamie's going to have, like, an amazing story to tell, but probably have no concept of the circumstances around it. And Mia's just going to repeat this pattern over and over and over. Mm -hmm. And hopefully there's a way out for her at some point.
2: Yeah, it's one of those um, times where, like, I think at least she'll have answers. At least she'll know what happened. But this Mm -hmm. is one of those situations where, like, I don't know if I would want to know that this is what happened. You know, like, it's just so horrifying. Oh, yeah. But I think... The scene that really makes me love Jamie a lot is the scene where he brings her back home and he's helping mm-hmm. her. He seems to really care about her he like does. and I don't ever get the sense that he is taking advantage of her, nope, you know, and just that I guess I danced her off her feet like it's just so sweet like I yeah. think he just i if he had maybe a little bit more of maybe if they were maybe five years older, I think Mm -hmm. I could see them maybe making it. But I mean, I think he's just a teenage boy. I don't think he is maybe emotionally ready, but I also see the way he is with Brent. And he just seems like a really kind of empathetic, fun.
0: Cares about his friend a lot.
2: Exactly. Just wants to help them. And like, Mm -hmm. I don't know, he's, he never shames Mia for what she's doing you know and like he's helping her get what she needs in that moment yeah. it's not healthy what she needs but you know he could have been an asshole to her you right know? so
0: and until the re- mia's reveal like why she is the way she is it's like her and jamie and i had completely forgotten that that was the reveal oh yeah i completely and i'm like this feels so out of sort like mm-hmm. it feels like we're watching Three different movies between Holly and Brent's mother' reaction to what's going on, mm-hmm. and then like Mia and Jamie's story, and then the you know torture going on at Lola's house. Like it feels like three completely different movies, mm-hmm. and trying to wrestle with the comic aspect of it. And then I'm like, oh yeah, that's why it mm-hmm. is the way it is, and it's like such a great pull back the curtain. I just think like Burn is like Sean Burn is so good and doing that here like he does it just perfect chef's kiss
2: Mm -hmm. it's just great yeah
0: so what about brent self-harm like what do you see here
2: um well one of the things that i see is something that i've done i don't do it with a razor blade but Mm -hmm. partly when i hold again i feel guilty talking about this because i don't want to give anybody ideas so i won't i'll just say some things that he does with a razor blade are similar Mm -hmm. to something i've done with a thumbtack sure um and i what really strikes me is when he has had this argument with his mom and he's like, so you're saying it's my fault. And he's walking down the street and he's just squeezing the razor blade. Yes. And he's not even really mm-hmm. cutting. It's just, I mean, it is cutting, but it's just squeezing. And it's just that, yep. that need to control that pain, you know? And you
0: almost don't even know if he's aware he's doing it.
2: Exactly. Yeah. Or if he's aware, at least how severe it is, mm-hmm. you know, it starts with just feeling that sharpness and then suddenly there's blood pouring down your yep. arm, you know? Yeah, and it strikes me like that he's been doing this for a while too. And I think I was interested in watching Holly's reaction to it when she sees cuz they both kind of exchange a look and you can tell she might be about to say it, and that's when he mm-hmm. starts to really kiss her. So he's yep. kind of doing the same thing Mia is, he's in a slightly different way. It's more to distract but yeah. It's to keep her to push her away from digging into the emotional side of this, you know? Mm
0: -hmm. And I think with Brett, you do see a mix like with the healthy, like the relationship with Holly is much different from Jamie and Mia. Like this feels like a somewhat healthy relationship. They communicate well, they have each other's back. Like he knows what's going on in Holly's life. Mm -hmm. He's very aware of her. Like he's very present when he's with her.
2: Mm -hmm. She seems really supportive of him too. Yeah.
0: Yeah and he can't say that he loves her but then there's that really sweet moment later on where she finds the card or like the humpty dumpty card and he's like you did what all the king's men couldn't do and that's helped put me back together again i love you like yeah. it's a really big moment you root for them as a yeah. couple
2: and i get the he, sense that she i'm sorry no, that go ahead. she gets Why he doesn't say I love you back. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't think she takes that as he doesn't love her. I think she takes it as he can't say this to me right
0: now. She takes it in stride.
2: Right. Exactly. Because
0: I'm sure like if you're Brent, you feel like, well, I loved my dad and I lost my dad.
2: Yeah. Mm -hmm. You
0: see some other like the other negative thing you see aside from the self-harm is like the excessive use of marijuana like he's Mm. always smoking weed Mm -hmm. and i'm not one of those like weed is bad it's a gateway to harder drugs like that's not my thing even though i don't use it yeah and there are definitely legitimate like therapeutic benefits for like physical and mental health Mm -hmm. but like it can also be used to over medicate like i know people that use marijuana to such an extent that they're using it in order to like shield themselves from having to examine Their problems and you start to see him doing that here but on the like i think a really clever shorthand that burn uses is when he reintroduces brent after like the six months later card comes up after the car crash you never see the after effects of the car crash you just see the card and then you see him at school and he's gone from being like rosy cheeked and healthy and laughing to like he looks haggard. Yeah. He looks almost gray. Mm hmm. He
2: looks dirty. His hair is yeah. oily. Yeah.
0: So you can see how he's been wearing his grief mm-hmm. for the past six months. Yeah. The other thing, too, is like his mother does blame him. Yeah. And she can't admit it.
2: Yeah. Um, that moment when Holly asks her, Do you? Mm-hmm. And she doesn't ever answer. It
0: does exactly that. That's what I thought too is like she can't answer like no of course i don't when yeah and i don't I, I mean like look i know i think she blames him but doesn't fault him if that makes right. any sense
2: yeah yeah and i mean and that's a reasonable thing for her to feel too like mm-hmm. it's she is dealing with her own grief it's like what we were talking about with me as dad it's like she needs to work through those feelings mm-hmm. of blaming him yeah. in order for her to be a support to him you know
0: yeah. the other healthy Coping strategy I see Brent using is like going out and like the rock climbing. It's obvious he's gone there before because mm-hmm. Mom knows like to go and look there. But like going out into nature with his dog, yeah, with the poor pooch. Oh, felt oh, so. Um, I'm just
2: going to pretend the dog's okay.
0: Exactly. He listens to music. Mm-hmm. You know, he loves. He obviously loves. And I, Sean Byrne, obviously loves Metallica.
1: Mm-hmm. Like
0: you see Brent in the Metallica shirt. He's got the huge Kill 'Em All poster on his wall and then in the next movie uh the devil's candy like metallica's music plays a pretty prominent role in the mm-hmm. father daughter bonding but you see him like listening to music when he's down and out like engaging in that but like getting exercise and moving around and again like that's not a cure all for depression but it can definitely help lift a person out of like the worst of it so mm-hmm. you do do see some healthy things and i think that's why like when he's trapped with Holly and her father that he's able to fight back.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: And that's why he's able to show that resiliency. Yeah.
2: Yeah. And I think the read I sometimes get, because it is, I I think it's really poignant that it's the razor blade that allows him to get free, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, and to keep fighting. It's like, because of the pain that he has already suffered, it's like, I don't know if desensitization is exactly what I mean. Kind of trying to figure out how I feel about this as I'm mentally or like verbally processing it, but
0: it's like using something that's considered a weakness as a strength later on.
2: Yeah. Okay. So that, because I, I have a, I don't know. It's like, I don't ever want to be like, Oh, it's great that this thing happened with his dad because it saved him down the road. Like it's not that, you know, it's not like, It's still terrible that his dad died, you know, Mm -hmm. but, and it's terrible that he's been doing all of this self-harm, but it does give him a strength that he wouldn't, he didn't have before, you know? Right. Does that make sense? Yeah. Well, it's like,
1: I don't know if
0: like learning from your mistakes is the best way to look at it. I don't know if that's a clumsy way to phrase it, but like knowing that like this razor blade, this thing that has done me active harm, now I have the opportunity to use that as a means for really, I use it as an escape when I need to let go of this emotional pain I'm in. Now I can use it as like escape for this actual situation that I'm in right now by freeing myself from my bonds.
2: Yeah. Well, and what you said earlier, I think like kind of unlocked a way of thinking about it for me is like there's harm that he's causing himself and there's harm that other people are causing him, you know? Mm-hmm. And so there's that, the difference between you are in control of this harm. And, yeah. and that's partly why he started doing the self-harm to begin with, because the harm of the grief that he's feeling is what he's trying to drown out. It's what he's mm-hmm. trying to push away. And right. now he's got this girl who is trying to drown out her own frustration by harming him, you know?
0: Yeah. And that self-harm in theory You're in control of it yeah. because Mm -hmm. you can control when you do it. You control to the degree which you harm yourself. You control when you want to stop doing it.
1: Mm -hmm. And
0: when he's trapped by Lola and daddy, he has no control over what's going to come next. He doesn't know that she's going to like fill his throat with bleach so Mm. he can't talk. Mm hmm. He doesn't know that like dad is going to pound knives into his feet and nail him to the floor. He doesn't know that he's going to be humiliated and forced to like pee into a milk glass while she comments on it and counts him down. Mm -hmm. Like there are, and then the, the, Oh God, the, the drill to the head. And just the idea, like you have now have a giant hole in your head. And the idea of, like, someone pouring boiling water into that hole so they essentially boil your brain and lobotomize you is so fucked up. I
2: know. Well, and I also think about the scars that this is gonna leave behind. Like mm-hmm. he's never gonna look at himself in the mirror again without seeing that scar in the middle right. of his forehead. And he's and just her wanting to draw on him and put that heart there. That's such a clear marking your territory. Mm-hmm. She and brands him exactly. And I just think he's gonna spend the rest of his life looking at the scars that she's left behind. And, and
0: is what is Holly gonna see down exactly?
2: The road? Mm-hmm. Mm hmm. And it just. I I like that we don't see down the road for him because I can imagine that he goes to the hospital, he gets it all mm-hmm. patched up, he gets some skin grafts. You know, it's he's okay, but I mean, it's going to be a rough oh yeah road of recovery. What do you think of
0: the idea? This idea, like one thing that hit me watching this is that to a much lesser degree, mom, like Brent's mother, is very similar to Lola's father in that she's like overprotective. Mm. And kind of like a helicopter parent, like you see he has to like get dropped off outside of his driveway because if his mother sees him riding in someone else's car. She's going to flip her lid Mm -hmm. that like she immediately, I'll just get you a cab so you don't drive with somebody else. Like she immediately is like, if you get in a car, you're going to be in danger. Like she, and to a degree you can see it because of what she's gone through and like Lola's father is being overprotective of her as well. Like he is kidnapping young men and lobotomizing them when they upset his daughter.
2: Right. So they're keep her similar just rejection. to different
0: degrees. Yeah.
2: Yeah. It's interesting. And they're both very subdued. They're both very mm-hmm. quiet and down, you know? I think,
1: mm-hmm.
2: I don't know. It's, it's, I can understand. I mean, it has only been six months, too. Like, I can understand. Mm -hmm. But, like, he's going to have to be in cars. He's going to have to, you know. And I I get the sense that he is starting to move on. Like, he is doing some unhealthy things, but he's also doing some healthy things. Like, he is going to the dance. You know, Mm -hmm. he could. He is not where Mia is, you know. No. But it doesn't feel like she has moved on that much. Like, she is still trying to keep him from riding in cars like how Mm -hmm. how old is he going to be before he she will let him drive you know
0: yeah and i think in part that is because like you see brent is like a younger person he's got a pretty big support network like he has his best friend jamie he has this like long-term relationship with holly he has other you don't see him with his other classmates you figure he has other friends he has school as a distraction Mm -hmm. um where you don't really see anything with mom Mm-hmm. and like what her support network looks like if there is even one at all for her
1: mm-hmm.
2: yeah which means she's going to be leaning on him which is mm-hmm. it. just it's just a real tragedy right i mean it is obviously it's the death of a parent but you know yeah. um
0: do you want to talk about his driving
2: oh, yeah, yeah, that was the other thing I was going to say because I do think it's another, like, coming full circle, like, what saves him is driving and Mm -hmm. swerving out of the road and then swerving back into the road to bonk over Lola. Mm -hmm. Bonks maybe not exactly what happens, but, yeah, it's just so poignant, and I love it. And the fact that he is driving out of control, and that is what ends up saving him and saving Mm -hmm. Holly, too, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And he's
0: able to remain a little bit in control this time.
1: Mm-hmm. Like
0: it's the same circumstance. A person is in the middle of the road unexpectedly mm-hmm. and he's able to control himself just enough so that he is he can not hit Holly and uh take and take Lola out.
2: Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, I don't think he in, I mean, he is intending to run Lola over. I don't think he would avoid her if he sees her, but it is interesting.
0: Like, oh no, he goes back and does it. You right, know, he hits her a second time,
2: <laughs> which I love. If you haven't seen, have you seen Sissy?
0: Uh, not yet.
2: It's on Shudder, but there's a whole thing about yep. the Australian uh, backing over again. So you know, it just made me think of that. Excellent. Sissy is a great movie. Um, but yeah, it's just another moment of like reclaiming power in a healthy way. You Mm -hmm. know, and this is like what I would tell my mom if she didn't want me to drive them was like, this is what saved me. This is what Mm -hmm. saved you because Lola was coming to kill you, you know, and the fact that he can use this car, this this terrible situation that Lola caused and this car that he is driving killed a loved one, but also saved a loved one at the end. It's just it kind of shows like the randomness of life. You know, and also that you can—you can't rewrite history, but you can reclaim power, mm-hmm. and in a way that doesn't harm you. You know,
0: that makes sense. Yeah. I like that. Yeah.
2: yeah. Is there anything else we want to talk about with the loved ones? I think I'm
0: good. I think we nailed it.
2: I think so too. Just yeah.
0: Want to reiterate, Lola. <laughs>
2: Hey Supreme. and look, Brent is pretty hot too. He's he is. Oh, in yeah. blonde and I was watching him and I knew I recognized him. I think he plays Charlie Chaplin's son in blonde yep. and I kept trying to figure out how I knew him and I guess I must have just missed it in IMDb. I think his yeah. like
0: preeminent roles like I remember he was in the latter Twilight movies. Yeah, which I've not seen and I mm-hmm. think like, that was his introduction. That's when this movie like started to get some real heat. It's like, oh yeah, like it stars this dude who's like one of the hotties in like the last couple Twilights. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> but uh, yeah, Lola can get it.
2: <laughs> well, and the performances in this movie are great mm-hmm. also, you know, it's just, it's just such a great movie. If you have not checked it out, if you were too afraid to watch it, just yep. listen to the synopsis again. Look away when it starts to get gross and check it out
0: it's on pluto for free right now and it was commercial free on pluto yeah so.
2: yeah uh i think that's how i watched it i did watch mine had commercials but you know what commercials in a movie like this sometimes just dumps the pressure <laughs> off you <laughs> kind of
0: like it is a bit weird like all right we're gonna nail your dick to a, a <laughs> chair and then like here is an ad for dishwasher detergent exactly
2: not the kind that they put in your throat but
1: you know nope. woo.
2: All right. Well, let's, Um, I, you know, I think we had kind of a broad ranging. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't really see anything else mental health topic wise that we didn't mention. Mm-hmm. Um, Other movies that we see self-harm in, The Poughkeepsie Tapes is a big one for me. I wrote an article about that that is very related to what we talked about in this episode that I might share. And Sharp Objects also is um about self-harm. It's one of my favorite books. And Mm -hmm. I actually wrote about it. It, I I just write, I write about this a lot because it's something that is very um, present in my life and near to me. But in the second edition of "Hear Us scream, I have an essay about sharp objects Mm -hmm. and the perfection. So cool. Yeah. So those are mine. Do you have any you want to mention?
0: Yeah. I just was going to mention like this movie by Jennifer Lynch called chained Mm -hmm. that came out around 2012. And it's like, it's a, Role versus a man who kidnaps a woman and like keeps her captive. And there's like, a lot of torture in it as well. So like that's one that kind of jumped out in terms of like a similarly themed movie. Mm-hmm. And that is like David Lynch's daughter. Oh, for Lynch. Yeah,
2: Interesting. You know, I like that first name too. Um, and there's also Misery, which is yep. similar dynamic too, which we have a whole episode on. So check that out. All right. Well, speaking of awesome jennifers and misery and now it's time for an uplifting moment this is when we share any grounding and coping techniques or any self-care that's been particularly effective for us grounding and self-care are the little tips tricks mantras or practices that help us get through the hard days or the hard moments and self-care is anything we do that makes us feel good or feel better and since we don't have a guest today I may give a tiny little EMDR update because I've now mm-hmm. done it three times. I'm not gonna not gonna go on for too long, but um, it's starting to, I'm starting to kind of get the hang of it. It's also starting to get harder mm-hmm. um, as we go into deeper things. But I got to a, she called it an environmental one, I think, on how agitated I was when I thought about this. And I said, like, we called it a one and not a zero because she was like, there's still some reparations that need to be made. They're just not on your end, which I thought was nice to acknowledge because um, I still want to be mad about this thing. I just don't want to be triggered by it. But it's, if you ever do it, like, it definitely makes me very tired after yeah. like, I've had cory bring me taco bell the past two tuesday nights and i've just gone to bed that is i hear pretty typical like it just really exhausts you you wouldn't think that like thinking about things would exhaust you as much as it does but i also had a dream that was kind of a reprocessing dream too. So I feel like this is all all over the place as I'm describing Mm -hmm. this, but like I had a dream where that was related to some things that we were talking about. So I think it's going well and I'm, you know, it's not easy, but it's worth it, Mm -hmm. I think. So, you know, so yeah, that's EMDR update.
0: Very cool. I don't have a ton this week. Like my self care has been trying to get, some sleep because i definitely you can hear by my voice like i've got a cold i've picked up a bug uh coming back from telluride and it feels like everyone has like a cold right now like yeah. thankfully it's not covid but like it feels like everybody is just a little bit under the weather right now as the season has kind of changed i've just been trying to get some like extra rest you know like my self-care has been watching like a couple scary movies a day getting ready for halloween Mm -hmm. made sure that like gone through all the decorations the didn't put up as quite as much this year as years past but it's a nice little display in the front of the yard between the lights we got a my office right here there's a body hanging out (laughs) through the window
2: Not a real kind of
0: hung down and then what not a real one though right not a real one not no and then just like a nice little display in the front yard so it looks really good But, you know, that's kind of like this time of year is like my happy place. So just trying to really enjoy it, enjoying the turn in the weather, doing some movies outside when the air is a little bit chill, like using Mm -hmm. the fire pit and just kind of like stuff like that. So just trying to take mentally good care of myself by engaging in things I really enjoy.
2: Awesome. And since we are talking about self-care, I feel like maybe now might be a good time to say Laura is going to take a bit of an extended break to focus on her own self-care, everything. She's okay. She's just got a lot of stresses that are not ours to share. Right, Um, a lot of
0: things going on that she just wants to take care of.
2: Right, yeah. So she will be back um, sometime soon, but Mm -hmm. she's going to take an extended break for now, but she wanted us to pass along her love to you and... Just, you know, and we completely support her in doing whatever. Uh, 100%. She needs it's to not do. even, yeah.
0: Like I've said to both you and Laura before, like the show is fun. I love doing it with both of you. And I think it's at its best when it's all three of us. But mm-hmm. at the end of the day, it's a podcast. Like,
2: right. it yeah. doesn't,
0: this is for fun and entertainment, but like you got to take care of yourself first.
2: Right. Yeah. And we talked about this, I think, a lot in our misery episode. Like, we're people. Mm -hmm. you know and and it is important and we want to practice what we preach too you know i don't want to be touting self-care every week and then not doing it so right so we completely support her in that and laura if you're listening we love you um all right so we want to hear from you do you like to rock climb do you drink milk i find the milk drinking in this movie very disturbing also a lot of
0: people do i don't get it i love milk Milk i don't like
2: milk Mm, but you know that's that it's it's neither here nor there. Um. Or what is your grounding in self-care? Uh, you can answer all of these questions and more by following us at Psychoapod on all the socials. You can also email us at psychoapod at gmail.com if you want to share privately And our homework question for the week. Tell us, your, you know what?
0: What's your prom story?
2: Yeah, what's your prom story? Tell us about your prom story or substitute whatever your school's version of prom was.
0: Homecoming. Yeah. Yeah, whatever got, it is.
2: I got some real sad ones. <laughs> my problems were not so perfect. My fun. problems were
0: not that good. Yeah,
2: so. eh, you know. I mean, it could have been a lot worse. Nobody, like the gym didn't burn down. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know. um, All right. So next up for us, we are going to do another Patreon request. It's one that we've been talking about doing for a while, and I'm very excited. And we're going to be talking about one of my favorite movies. I'm so excited. We're going to be talking about Kink. And we're gonna be watching the original Hellraiser. Yay.
0: We so have excited. such sights to show you.
2: I know, and I feel like we are not making an explicit connection between the loved ones and Hellraiser, but there are some overlapping themes in yeah, it, yeah, say so. and I'm excited to talk about them. um we are I you know, I'm gonna watch the <laughs> the new one again too because I love it, but we are I finally I, watched it. Oh, did you like it?
0: Yeah yeah I, I like the second half a lot more than the first, like mm. it was, the first half felt a little repetitive, but yeah, once they get to the mansion, like it's really i it's really good. I'll watch it, it again,
2: yeah, well, and all that to say, just we are gonna be talking about the original Hellraiser, although our conversation yeah. might bleed over to some other ones.
0: I will say going from like Julia to Riley is like your predominant female to follow eh, it's a bit of a step down
2: yeah Team i julia riley has grown on me a lot but mm-hmm. uh julia it's hard to top julia she is oh yeah she is my queen um all right so yes that's our next episode but for even more of us mike what's going on in the world of
0: Patreon? sure so As we've discussed, like, in order, like, part of our own self-care is realizing we need to redo the Patreon a little bit, so we put a pause on charging people for it through the end of the year. Um, That way, our current patrons can stay on board uh, but not get charged, and if you want to sign up for our Patreon, you will have access to whatever level you sign up for. So all of the bonus episodes that are currently up, you have access anywhere from, like, 20 to 40 hours of material depending on where you are. And that is at patreon.com slash psychoanalysis podcast. We've had a bunch of people sign up in the past week or so. So mm-hmm. quick shout out to the following, like quick shout out to, to dragon for signing up. Thank you so much. Thank quick you. shout out to Matt for signing up as well oh, to you. Brandy as a new patron to Chris to jennifer Mm -hmm. and i think as of like just this morning uh to vanessa for signing up so and vanessa messaged and asked like do we still do the 50 dollars tier and we did take that off for right now because what we're doing the this month and some of next month is we're just we have like a bunch of patreon requests to get through Mm -hmm. so we're like getting through them and then once the three of us are back and at full strength, we'll probably put that back up again. Yeah. Like, it just became way more popular than we anticipated.
2: <laughs> I didn't think we were right? going to get any. And, I really know, didn't. Yeah. And I love it. We've got re- a lot of really great suggestions.
0: I, somewhere from like probably around 15 to 20 of our episodes have been Patreon requests.
2: Yeah. And we want Which to make sure awesome. we're, we're honoring all of those requests. Yeah. and Yeah,
0: exactly. But, but yeah, so, we do
2: have plans to go back to that.
0: Mm-hmm. So what I will, what, what I've done for like the last week of October is there are going to be some recommendations up there from me. So I'm doing oh, nice. like very brief like mini episodes where it's like hey, here are like three anthologies to check out. Here are three like great horror films from the South Pacific. Here are three great horror comedies. Just giving like very brief recommendations so there'll be some content up there as like a a, uh, just for everybody just so you can still have some bonus stuff but yeah go to patreon.com slash psychoanalysis podcast become a patron today and you will not get charged anything until january 1st of 2023
2: Um, all right, well, let's wrap up with some plugs and Mike, since you just plugged our Patreon, I will go first. You can find me at Jim Ferratu on Twitter and Instagram. You can find me co-hosting the losers club podcast, which is all about Stephen King and, um, also the white ladies in crisis podcast. And we just did an episode on Pearl and we are the next one. I don't know if I'm allowed to say, but I'm going to say anyways, we're going to talk about, um, well, I'll just say it's a Julia Roberts movie from the 90s that I fucking love. So, yeah, you can find me there. You can also find me writing. Um, I wrote, like I said, I wrote it for a Grimm magazine about the loved ones. If you like hearing me talk about um, female killers or internalized misogyny or just anything we talked about, um, you know, follow me and I post it also. You know, mm-hmm. And I think I might repost that one I wrote about the Poughkeepsie tapes. Um, although, man... I don't- I don't know. That's a very personal one, (laughs) but it's out there. Anyway, so that's where you can find me. And Mike, what about you?
0: Sure. So you can follow me at Mike underscore Snoonian uh, for my own uh, Twitter account. You can listen to my other show, The Pod and The Pendulum everywhere you get your podcasts. We are, as of this episode going up, we have now like wrapped up Uh, our halloween coverage so we just uh halloween kills is posting as we record this and we're gonna be recording on halloween ends later this week for our halloween episode i am gonna it's gonna be four against one (laughs) jen is gonna be joining us as one of our guests because folks that movie's a hot mess i don't hate it but it is good lord good but there's lord, a
2: hot a sweater in it so
0: there is um, <laughs> so go to the pod and the pendulum.com quick note on this show i took a look earlier and we are on like the first page of film history so if you oh, go into like nice. tv and film we are under like when you go under like what to look for mm-hmm. we are like right at that last spot on film history and i do i don't look at this very often But I do appreciate our listeners like it's really you like your reviews, Mm -hmm. downloading the episodes, word of mouth. That is what gets us there. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't seem like a big deal, but like we are a completely independent show. We have been since the end of our first year uh, when we left the network we were on Mm
1: -hmm.
0: and we have stayed independent. And like so we don't have like marketing behind us. Like when you see a post from us it's one of us like yeah. we don't have someone editing our shows it is Jen doing <laughs> 90% of the editing and me doing the other 10% to give <laughs> her a break so everything you see comes from the three of us and for us to be on that first page like really means a lot not only cuz it helps more people find us but because it makes us it, it lets us know that we're like we're on the right track and you really yeah. appreciate it so thank you to all our listeners Aww. um for that so if you haven't already we've been sitting on like 224 reviews for a little while so please if you haven't subscribe to us rate us and leave us a few reviews and five star reviews only that's what helps (laughs) the algorithm direct more people to us so we do appreciate you
2: yeah um yeah, and that's us. And and that is our episode on the loved ones. I want to give a huge shout out and thank you to Ashley for choosing this movie. Listeners, thank you for spending time with us. Please make sure to take care of yourselves and take care of each other. And with that, let's sign off. We came here to chew bubblegum and take care of ourselves. And we're all out, all
0: of, out of bubble, bubble gum.
2: gum. Am I not bubblegum? <laughs>